If you are new with us, last week we started a, a series, a new series looking at 1 Peter, which is in the New Testament. And Peter writes to the suffering Christians. And we learned last week that we call these people diaspora Christians, people who are scattered because of their faith in Jesus. So that's the backdrop to today's story. And today we're going to be going into chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. And there's a Bible in front of you, and you'll also see the words on the screen later on. And if you like to take notes, and if you want to know what the big idea, the main idea in today's passage or the story is, it's this. How do we find hope when life is tough? How do we find hope when life is tough? And this section in the original Greek is one long run-on sentence. And I think... The, the reason why Peter writes in this one long run-on sentence is, is because he wants to tell this panoramic view of the story of God. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, when you uh, tell stories and when you have conversations, casual conversations with friends, we tell stories in chronological order, past, present, and future. So you will go something like this. Let's say you're talking to a friend and you say, hey, what did you do last weekend? Oh, we went to our lake house, we had so much fun, we went wakeboarding, went tubing, grilled out, and the other friend goes, oh, I love wakeboarding, I'm, I'm learning how to wake surf without the rope, but the place we go, man, the, 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 the level of water is so low, um, I hope it rains, yeah, yeah, we, we need rain here, do we not? Okay, so let's dissect that conversation, right? What did you do last weekend? I went wakeboarding. That's past, right? And the friend replies, oh, I love wakeboard. I'm learning to wake surf without the rope. Present moment. But the level of lake is low. I hope it rains. Future. Past, present, future. If, if you think about this, this is how we normally talk. Not only in personal conversations, when it comes to organizations and, and institutions, the way organizations create narratives for them to draw into the story is also told in past, present, and future tense. So let me give you an example. So a few weekends ago, my family, we were able to go to the, the opening game of a Texas A&M football game, right? So I am, let me, I'll just be very honest. I'm not a big Aggie fan, all right? I'm not a big Aggie fan. My first game was maybe when I was in seventh grade, I went with a group of guys, and the only reason why we went is because now my son is going to A&M. So I'm there, and we, got, we arrived early. I went to the concession stands, got some hot dogs and nachos. By the way, it's not hot dogs. It's Aggie dogs at A&M. And waited in line. I, got, I went up to our seats. I noticed that people were all standing, right? They're all standing. They're all happy. They're all giddy. And all of a sudden, they start to sing a song. And I don't know what they were singing, but they just start singing. It seemed like that everyone knew what they were singing. And I'm, I'm, I'm wondering what's going on. And, and then, in the middle of the song, people begin to like bend, lean forward like this and put their arms around each other. So here I am. I have my nachos and my, my Aggie dogs. I gave it over to my wife, Lee son. My son was sitting to my, to my left in between us. And this guy, a stranger sitting to my right, look, we lock eyes, and he goes, let's do this. And he, he, he this, this is a slow motion, I, I saw this happen, he puts his left leg around my right leg like this, and puts his, his arm around my, my shoulder, and now we're swaying left, right, and we're singing this song that I have no words what we're singing, I'm pretending like I know what I'm doing, right? 
So then, when this is all done, uh, the, the tunnel, right, where the tunnel is, the, the football players, a and football players are coming out, and the cr- crowd erupts, and they're going wild, and there was, it, was, it was glorious for Aggies. Okay, so let's, <laughs> let's break down what I experienced that time, right? The song they were singing, I had to, because I had no idea what they were singing, I had to look up their words. So I looked at MySpace, and here, here's how it goes. Some may boast of prowess bold, of the school they think so grand, but there is a spirit can never be told. It's the spirit of Aggieland. Wow. <laughs> they are reaching, go, 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 they're reaching to the past, right? The spirit of Aggieland. And then all of a sudden, all the crowd, they were, they were doing this shoulder thing. They're swaying left and right and left and right, right. And, and, and I'm being drawn into that story in the present moment with this stinky guy, stinky. I mean, it was smelly. It was really hot, right? And we're, we're swaying. Then the future comes out from the tunnel, hoping that they would have better season this year than the last season, right? And people are erupting. By the way, I think they won yesterday. So congrats to all the Aggies. All right. I share this to say that when Peter tells today's story, he does it in inverse order. Future, present, and past. And there's a reason why he does this. Because he's inviting into the story of God for us to see how God is at work in our lives. And there are three concepts I'd like to pull out from today's passage. And they're this, these. Our future is hopeful. Our present struggle is meaningful, and our past is beautiful. And I'm grateful for N.T. Wright and Tim Keller for their insights. So here we go, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And let me stop here and say this. There's, there's a lot to unpack here. First, Peter says that our future is hopeful because we are born again to a living hope. Now, what does it mean to be a born again? For Christians to be born again means that there is a transformation taking place because of the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is living inside of us and the transformation is happening inside out. So when we say yes to Jesus, there's a renewal that's, that's taking place. When we say yes to Jesus, we are, it's not just a one-time decision, but it is a daily submission where we were being invited by God to participate in putting all of our hope, all of our trust in the person of Jesus. Which begs the question, what is hope? How, how, do, we, how, how do we define hope? Because whether we know it or not, we use the word hope almost every day in, in, in situations and in conversations. Like, like, I hope it rains tomorrow. I hope it does not rain. I hope she likes me. I hope he does not like me. I hope the preacher does not preach too long especially next Sunday. Today's okay. I hope, for me, I hope the Cowboys will win today because I'm a big Cowboys fan. We all hope, right? Because to be a human means that we hope. We're people of hope. And then let me illustrate what hope is. Uh, In the 1950s, 
There is a doctor by the name of Kurt Richter from Johns Hopkins, and he did this very famous uh, rat swimming experiment. It's a psychology experiment from the 1950s. And what he did, and he's researchers as well, was to try to see how long domestic rats can swim for. And they found out that domestic rats can swim longer than the wild rats. So what they did was they got different kinds of buckets, put water, and let these domestic rats just swim. There's nothing to grab onto, so they're swimming, and they're just swimming and swimming. And they would wait till the, the rats would get really exhausted. And what happens when rat gets exhausted? They begin to go down, and they didn't let the rats die. They would, the researchers would pick the rats up and, and pull them aside. And they found out in this experiment that domestic rats can swim for about 15 minutes, nonstop. That's, I think, longer than, than how long I could tread water, 15 minutes, all right. And they did a second experiment, the exact same scenario, same buckets, same water, same environment. They let the rats swim for about 15 minutes. There it go down, they pull it out. This time, the second experiment, some, there was something a little different they did. They decided to, uh, to dry the rats a little bit. So imagine like plush hotel towels, drying them up, right, little rats. And let the rats rest for a little bit. And they would put the rats back into the bucket. Same, same water, same environment. And what the researchers and Dr. Richter found out was that there was a significant behavioral change. And what he saw was that these rats could swim longer. And do you know how long they were able to swim for? 60 additional hours. And, and Dr. Richter concluded this in his experiment, that these rats, when they had a fixed reference point, a, a memory of being rescued, that they were able to put their hope in something. They were able to be very resilient rats. And here's where I'm going with this. You see, Peter had a reference point, and his name is Jesus. And for Peter, Jesus, he didn't just believe in Jesus. He, he, he saw, he witnessed that the, the life and, and death and resurrection of Jesus. That was his reference point. And because of this, whatever that Peter experienced, whatever kinds of suffering that he, was, that he was faced with, he knew that one day that there was going to be a better future. So, so one way to define hope is this. Hope is a desire for something good in the future. And here's the deal. You and I, we have been, we've been hardwired for hope. That means every day we are attaching ourselves to some kind of hope. Hope in our career, hope in marriage, hope in our kids, hope for whatever. We're, we're addicted to hope. We're always looking for hope, right? And so think about, think about the seniors in, in high school right now. Think about them. So in, when they're juniors, they're working really hard. They're in their first semester in senior year. What are they doing right now? They are applying for colleges. And for those of you with college students, or I'm assuming many of you have college degrees, you know that now these days, you've got different kinds of schools. You have those REACH schools. These are schools that are hard to get into. These are dream schools for a lot of high school students. They know the acceptance rate is really low, but they're, they're hoping they will get in. But you also have what do you call safety schools, schools that you know you can get into. Why do they apply to safety schools? Because these students want certainty. They want a secure future. As humans, we are designed to look for a secure future. But here's where we get it wrong. 
oftentimes we spend our energy, time, and resources, and money on, on, on putting things, putting our hope in the wrong things or the wrong people. And when that hope is taken away, we are crushed by it. We're so disappointed because the, the hope that we're hoping for disappears. And misplaced hopes will frustrate and disappoint us. And false hopes will always fade away. But Peter says in verse 4 this, that we have a true hope, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And we call this living hope. Living hope is a protected for us because as believers in Jesus, the Holy Spirit does this incredible miracle, this incredible mystery where a beautiful exchange that takes place. When we say yes to Jesus, the death of Jesus becomes our death and his resurrected life becomes our life. And we become forgiven. There's freedom. We are united in Jesus and our life is hidden with Christ. And no one can snatch away from us this living hope. As verse 5 says, it is guarded through faith. It is kept in heaven for us. It is protected. This living hope is is protected for you. And and it's a hope that secures our future. Okay, let's go on. Verses 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's stop there. He's saying now, because we have living hope, our present sufferings have meaning. Because in God's kingdom, in God's economy, our pain is never wasted, right? So Peter says to the scattered Christians, hey, all of you, all of you, you're going, through, you're going to go through incredible trials and sufferings in life, and you will be, you will be tested. And this is not, by the way, uh, God's original design, but because of sin and selfishness and the brokenness of this world, all of us will go through suffering. And he says, we'll go through various trials. And that word various in the original Greek is the word multicolor or, or many colors. Peter's saying that we will experience many, many multiple colors of pain, losing jobs, breakups, divorce, death, infertility. You just go on. And then the suffering that you're going to go through, Peter writes, is very different from the person sitting next to you because of sin in this world. But later on in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, He uses the exact same Greek word, various, to describe God's grace. And and, and the connection that he's trying to make is this. He's saying, just as there are many colors of pain, there are just as many, if not more, colors of God's grace. For every color of pain, there is colors of God's grace that's so abundant that God's grace will shadow and overshadow our pain. And this is how Lamentations chapter 3 puts it. Though he, God, brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. So great is unfailing love. And and, and this grief that we go through in life is not forever. Peter says in verse 6, this grief, this various trials that we will go through is for a little while. It's momentary. It's it's like vapor. But, But please know that Peter is not saying, hey, 
just suck it up, you know, get, get better, wake up, don't be depressed, you'll be fine, you could be worse, don't be so dramatic, it's, it's not what he's saying, because the reality is that all of us, I mean, the, the pains that we go through, and we could last for weeks, months, for decades, Lisa and I, we're part of a community group on Monday nights, and we are with young adults, and as we were hearing their stories from this past Monday, some of them were talking about just the difficulty of, um, of their work environment because they have colleagues or supervisors that are just a oh, thorn in their side. You know what I mean? And when you have to go to work every day in that environment, it just, it's really hard. I know of, of a man in our church who... Um, has been with his wife who has had Alzheimer's for the last 10 years. And even though she gets confused often, even though that she oftentimes don't, do not remember, doesn't remember her husband, I mean, he is beside her every day caring for her. And, and, and the kinds of sufferings that we go through are not just physical or financial, but it's also emotional. Barna, Barna is a group that does different stats, uh, statistics, and they did a recent, re- recent research on the emotional health of moms. And let me share some of them with you. This is based on their recent research. They write that 52% of moms feel no one is caring for them, meaning that they feel alone or lonely. 44% of them feel overwhelmed with responsibilities. It's this non-ending tasks they have at work, at home, trying to care for so many people. 43% say they, that they are uncertain about their future. Now, when I read that stat, what I sense is this fear about the unknown, right? And fear can leave you feeling stressed and powerless. It can drain you emotionally. You feel like you're trapped and you're in this downward spiral, wondering what the tomorrow will bring, which brings uh, up the next stat, right? says that less than one in five moms say they regularly feel they're able to contribute meaningfully to the world. So check this out. That means that 80% of moms on any given point are wondering about their purpose and future. Does this resonate with some of you here based on these stats? So how does Peter respond? How does Peter respond to our everyday hurts? And when we're going through these hopeless feelings, because Peter reminds us, this is what he says, even though he says that even though our circumstances may not change, they may not get better, in light of all eternity, the challenges we experience are used for God's glory, for our ultimate good. And the image that he uses is that of a refiner's fire in verse 7. He says that our present trials are meaningful because they test our faith. And so what happens to a raw gold when it goes through a, a fire, a refiner's fire? Does it change the essence of gold? And Peter's saying, no, of course not. When, when, when gold goes through a refiner's fire, the impurities rise up, and the gold gets more pure or more pure. It progresses the gold to greater purity. And Peter is saying that the fire represents trials and suffering, and the gold represents our faith. And when the fire burns, our faith grows, he writes. And John Piper says it this way. 
The furnace of affliction in the family of God is always for refinement, never for destruction. You know, as Sterling prayed earlier, no one, no one is immune from suffering. We will all go through pain in life. But what we need to remember is that God does not save us from trials, but God save us through trials. The purpose of trials is to not drive us away from God, but drive us closer to God. And that's why there's a place in the book of James where James writes that, consider as pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when we go through trials of all kinds, right? It, it brings us toward maturity. It, it develops resilience in life. And that's how we become pilgrims and priests in the world when we're being refined by the refiner's fire. So Tim Keller talks about, he um, wrote a book, and he shares this story of a guy named... Um, Dr. Viktor Frankl. And Viktor Frankl is a psychotherapist, means that he worked with people with mental illness. And during World War II, he was locked up uh, in the concentration camps of Nazi. During World War II, he is a survivor of a Holocaust. And later on, he wrote a book on what he experienced. And he said that he took that time to observe how people respond to suffering. And Dr. Frankel said there were three kinds of people in how people responded to suffering. First, he would label them the oppressed becoming the oppressor. The oppressed becoming the oppressor. In other words, when these people experienced suffering and pain, they, they in turn became bullies to their own people. And they became violent, turbulent. They lashed out their anger on others because they were experiencing suffering. In group number two, he said, these were the people who just kind of gave up in life. They withered away. And, and the will to live wasn't there. And what he noticed was that even their immune systems would shut down and they would get sick off of these people. And he writes, our th third group of people, very tiny fraction of people who had this incredible, quiet hope. And they, they, they live this heroic life in the Nazi concentration camp era. And, and, and what, he, what he writes is this. He said, what was unique about this last group was that they had a vision that extended beyond this life, and they had a marker, like a reference point, to live for. And they were able to see into the future with, with new possibilities. And, and this longing to see into new possibilities and new future is seen in verses 10 through 12. And I'm about to read this, and this is going to be pretty dense. I'm going to read it, let it sink in. I would invite you to read it on your own later on. It goes like this. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. And here's what Peter says in this verse. He says there are three groups of people. And when he says you, he's referring to the chosen elect, the church. It also means you, you and me, the people of God. 
Second, he talks about the prophets. These are the Old Testament prophets, people like Jeremiah and Isaiah. And they were looking, and they've been searching, and they were hoping to see into the future to see, because they knew that there's going to be this person, this Messiah, who's going to bring about hope. But they did not know how the future will come to an end. Then you have the third group in verse 12, the angels. The angels are also looking. By the way, do you know that right now our lives are on display before the heavenly angels? Angels are looking. They're peering down at us right now. And you know what they're looking at? The prophets of the the old and the angels, they're looking at the same thing. They're looking at you, the church, the people of God. And what are they hoping to see? You know, here's what they see. Do you know what they see? They see us as a living hope. And this is a very important point. For Christians, not only is Jesus our living hope, but we're also the living hope for Jesus. Think about this. Think about Jesus on the cross. Incredible pain. Excruciating fire that he was going through. What gave Jesus hope? What was his reference point? What was he looking into, into the future? It was you and me, the people of God. But we are his delight. We are so precious to his eyes. We are his living hope. He was, he, Jesus was filled with hope because he knew that one day that we would come together, that we would be with him forever. We are the joy that was set before him, which he endured the cross. The prophets have been waiting to see this. The angels are longing to see this. And we as New Testament Christians, we get to experience the living hope, Jesus, because we're united in Christ. And friends, this is our past, present, and future story, and it is beautiful. And God is inviting into this story for us to see Jesus for who he is, the one who gives us hope. And Jesus will never disappoint us. He will never disappoint us. Let's pray. I want to take a moment to pray for those of you who came in this morning, perhaps feeling uh, either disappointed or even hopeless. God, I pray that you would guard their faith and you would help them even right now in a very fresh way for them to look back at your love for them. Even before the world was founded, you said to us, that you delight in us, that you love us, and you cherish us. So, Father, for those of us who are going through difficult moments right now, in the name of Jesus, we bring about healing and freedom that only comes from you. Thank you that there is victory in Jesus Christ. And because he lives, we live as well. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.